Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Things are sad and desperate. Yeah, I know the feeling. I'm starting to get a little bit of that cabin fever around here with all the snow that we have. I was joking. Things are awesome. (laughs) Yeah, they're kind of awesome here, too. It just kind of depends on if I decide to go to CES or not. But well, yeah, yeah. Yes, let, let's, let's not bring up Vegas. That brings up sad memories. <laughs> yeah, I've only been there once, and good memories, despite getting lost in the middle of Vegas. But that's a story for another time. Yeah, I've been to the last three years. I've been to Vegas, and this will be my fourth year if I were, were to go. But it looks like that's not going to happen. So I'm going to miss my first CES in in four years, which is sad for me. Yeah, I, I've been getting. PR stuff from just about everybody wanting me to come to their um, different press conferences and wanting to do one-on-one demos of products and stuff. And I want to go and I want to play with some of the stuff, but so far I haven't heard of anything too much that I want to, or at least for what they're telling me so far, that I really want to see. So I haven't really decided if I'm going to go or not. I don't know if the weather is any warmer than it is here. That that could be reason enough for me to go. But I can tell you there probably won't be any snow. Yeah, I would hope not. I don't I don't know. I'm starting to get sick of it. We had about an inch for inch yesterday and then like an inch on Friday or whatever and then we got had about four inches this morning. We're expecting another four inches tomorrow, so I'm kinda ready for springtime. But anyway, this is episode number forty seven. I kinda screwed up the intro and forgot to say that. Uh, you can also follow along on the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. Don't forget to check out the blog, globalgeeknews.com slash blog. And don't forget to subscribe to the show for those of you that just keep going back to the site. You don't necessarily have to do that unless you want to check out the show notes, but you can subscribe in iTunes, the, your um, Zoom Marketplace or whatever. We are now on the Zoom Marketplace, so feel free to subscribe there if you have a Zoom like I do, although I never use mine. Um, anyway, go ahead and... Actually, right before I jump, before we jump into the stories, um, I do have all my, I have a good number of my uh, PDC videos edited and ready to go up. Hopefully, I'll start getting those up starting tomorrow, as well as I have an interview that will be a little bit of a surprise, and by that I mean I can't remember um, who that was with. I, I his. The name escapes me all of a sudden, but I'll get that up in the next day or two as well. But anyway, we have plenty of stories, so we probably better get to them, because I guess we're in a little bit of a rush tonight. So we'll start off with the EA CEO saying that digital game sales are going to overtake console numbers next year. I don't believe this in the least. Well, they're saying that the current numbers are already at 40, 40 to 45%. And that's all downloadable content, uh, in-game uh, purchases, uh, and uh, that's international, um, and not just uh, domestic in the United States. Yeah, I have a heart. I don't know from the way this. Uh, I don't. I don't know from the way this sounds. It. It just that the number sounds really high. I'm guessing they're probably lumping in the real small games that you'd have like on your iPhone or whatever that's the only way I can see them getting numbers this big I mean I know it's starting to get to be a sizable number but to be Mm -hmm. this big and to even say that they're going to be bigger than console games next year I I don't believe it at all yeah I guess that's one thing that they didn't clarify whether or not if that's revenue or just sheer uh, unit sales um, but I can see what you're talking about, casual gaming and even some free games that might be out there for demo uh, might count towards the digital download or digital distribution um, if you're just talking unit sales and not necessarily um, not necessarily uh, profit for each each game. Yeah, I, I just it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, if you've ever used EA's um, digital download service, and actually had success with it, you're lucky. I mean, I've I've tried it once and I couldn't get the stupid thing to work. Now, if we're talking about if 
um, Steam or something like that, that's a great experience, and I would say that makes up a decent percentage. And that I could understand, but if they're talking about like using their own digital download service that's just terrible, I I don't see how that could be possible, especially when you're a lot of these major titles like a Halo or a um, Modern Warfare 2 or whatever that are still having these midnight launches where there's lines of people out the doors of the stores and everything. I just don't see that most people are getting their games via a digital download. Um, well, I w- maybe overseas. And maybe they're counting pirated games too. That could be a huge number. Um, I, I'm not sure where they're getting that numbers. They don't really have a good breakdown on this article. But I can totally see that they're talking about console games and how future consoles, uh, especially when you talk about Xbox currently and, and the Wii currently and, and the PlayStation Network, how they are removing towards digital distribution for at least some of their game content. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that gets me, I, I know if I'm like using Steam or whatever, I I don't have to really worry about hard drive size because I've got a couple of terabytes on my machine, so I'm not really worried about that. Or even in my PS3, I got an 80 gig drive in there, and I could easily throw in a terabyte drive if I wanted to. But when you're talking about the Xbox and downloading games off the Xbox Live, for a long time there, they didn't have a system over a 20 gigabyte system. So there's a mm-hmm. so there's millions of 20 gigabyte systems floating out around there that you can't put very many games on there. I mean, I I basically have it full and I've only got a couple of games and maybe some demos and stuff. But by the time you throw in movies and stuff, there's really not much room for games, especially when games anymore are taking up several gigabytes. True. But you also have to realize, yeah, that it's going to be systems, systems, not PC systems, not just console systems. But downloading and deleting, downloading and deleting still counts as two downloads. So, if you're, and once again, if they're counting demos, then I can totally see how that's possible. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't think you'd count demos and something like that, but I don't know. Well, they say, I don't know, As once again, that goes back to, are they talking units, or are they talking profitability? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's stuff like this, I kind of wish they'd actually give out some numbers to, so that we have a little bit better idea of what it is they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they're, they're going to elaborate. Um, they also don't want to probably give that much into uh, their books, give that much exposure onto their books. So that's why they're being intentionally... Evasive. Yeah. Well, speaking of numbers and market share and stuff like that, apparently Windows 7 is getting its growth at the at Windows XP's expense rather than Windows Vista. This makes total sense because I'm guessing a lot of people stuck with their older XP systems and waited for 7 to come out before they upgraded. So they stopped using their old systems and started using a new systems and that's would account for the the replacement as opposed to new growth. Well, then, well, considering the fact that everybody supposedly hates Vista and wants to upgrade as soon as Windows 7 came out, it, the numbers seem a little bit off for me. Where it's basically saying for each copy of Vista replaced by Windows 7 during the month of November, six copies of XP were swapped out. And it, I don't know if if we're talking about. Um, putting the operating system on existing computers, not buying cold new computers, that number just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I mean, with Vista you can do an upgrade and that's not really that big a deal for a lot of people. But going from XP to Windows 7, where there's no direct upgrade path where you have to back up all your data, reformat your hard drive, and then install it, I think that's a little bit more in-depth than a lot of people want to go, so I'm kind of surprised by that number. Well, once again, it doesn't have to be an upgrade. It could be a whole new system purchase. Right. Although I did kind of find it amusing that um, Apple's OS X lost market share during November, and Linux gained market share and is now back up to 1%. 
Yeah, do you think that's a spike in netbooks possibly? Maybe that could be a part part of it. For Apple, I would say yes, but as far as Linux goes, I don't know of very many people that are actually doing um, Linux netbooks anymore, or at least not like they were to start with. I think now pretty much everything's either XP or Windows 7. Well, I know Dell's entry-level, like their bottom-run uh, netbook, ships with Linux. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> and I think Acer Aspire, I think, still ships with Linux. If, if it were, uh, Sorry, HP has their Linux environment. Was it PD? No, what is it called? The Linux uh, environment, Linux internet environment or something like that? I forget what it's called. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. And I don't know. It, it seems to me that everything, all the netbooks that are advertised are Windows-based. I almost never see anything Linux-based that's advertised anymore. But hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what's going to happen as far as netbooks go when Chrome comes out. That will be interesting. Um, I expect um, more tablets probably would be prevalent by then too. Um, if if Chrome's going to be out. Yeah. Speaking of tablets, did, have you been following? Did you follow the announcement of Juju today? No. <laughs> Juju is basically the Crunchpad. It's just because of the name or whatever. Fusion Garage decided to change the name to Juju. They announced it today, and I believe it's going to run $4.99 or $5.99, and they start taking pre-orders on Friday. And I don't know if they... Screw that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if it wasn't for the price, I would I would probably get one. But the price seems a little bit high to me, especially for something that they wanted to be like a two or $300 device, um, which is what they've been touting all along. Um but yeah, that that was announced today, and that they're basically saying that Mike Arrington never came through on any of his promises or whatever. And I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see what happens now. I guess Arrington said that they won't be doing any more Crunchpad posts or anything because it's all in the hands of the lawyers now. I'm looking at the screenshots on uh, Gizmodo, and it looks to be like grayscale. Is it color? It is color. Um, supposedly, in the pictures and stuff they got, it has a real green look to it. But supposedly, yeah. if you're looking at it in person, it looks just fine. Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't pay six, five hundred, six hundred dollars for a device that only serves the web. <laughs> well, I, I mean, if it was maybe two hundred dollars cheaper or something, if there's some solid state, like enough solid state to actually um, hold pictures or documents. Yeah. Then that's another thing. But uh, from the, the the stats that I read about the Crunchpad, there's very little storage on that thing. Yeah, I believe they said there's a four gigabyte SSD, and it's basically going to be almost kind of like a Chrome OS as to where it's basically going to be everything online with online apps and stuff like that. And there will be very limited online functionality as to where you'll be able to use your Gmail with like a cache or Google Gears or whatever, but as far as offline stuff, it's pretty much non-existent, and it's just supposedly has a real simplistic design as far as like there's only one button for power, and it, it I don't know, it, it seems like it would be an interesting device to just kind of carry around the house, but not for that price. Yeah, I would say screw you, Juju. Yeah. And I'm not a real big fan of the name, anyway. It, it, I'm guessing that it's just kind of the fact that with all this um, stuff with TechCrunch, maybe they have bad juju now, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. You know, actually, 7 would be sexy on that with tech touch support mm-hmm. that 7 has. Yeah. I wonder, if that would be a better model um, than, than, I mean, what is this, some sort of proprietary operating system or some flavor of Linux that's running on this? Yeah, supposedly. I believe it's... Um, from my understanding, they basically used a lot of open source stuff, so I'm guessing it's some kind of a custom flavor of Linux that Fusion Garage designed, as well as I believe they they like designed the browser and stuff for it as well. Yeah, definitely not then. Which means that you have to entirely uh, you know, be in the lurch for them for support, upgrades, bug fixes, everything. 
I, I couldn't do that, especially with an untested device. They, you could buy this, they could go out of business that you know in three months, and then you're stuck with a device that is just totally crap because of their crap on it. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could hack it. I mean, it was always meant to be hacked, but still, I mean, you're gonna. That's a lot of work for six hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I think it's a little on the unreasonable side, but they're, I guess they're right now. They're planning on just selling it all online, and they're working on possible deals for selling it in stores. Speaking of which, apparently Amazon is thinking about launching their own retail stores in the UK. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Brick and mortar, and with the with you with uh, Amazon being a they're mainly use U.S. based business. I wonder if they're gonna have to pare down to because um, like once you start talking brick and mortar you're actually talking real inventory not just in time shipping mm-hmm. yeah it, I, I i would assume that it probably wouldn't be too bad because they probably already have um warehouses and stuff over there but it just doesn't make that much sense to me since they seem to be doing so well and online I don't know why they would want to have a physical presence. I know, I don't know about over there, but I know over here, the whole physical presence idea has always presented a problem to them in terms of um, sales tax, where they're they've dropped their affiliate agreements in several states because mm-hmm. the states are ruling that having affiliates there is, represents a physical presence, so they can collect sales tax on that. So I'm I'm guessing that maybe that's not an issue over there or what because it seems like that would be a major shift in policy if they did that. Or either they reach some sort of growth ceiling in which the awareness of online shopping hasn't reached the masses yet, and the brick and mortar is a way to introduce people to the brand without having them to go online and getting the exposure they they would get otherwise I, I, that's the only thing that makes sense to me that there's sort of there's some untapped revenue that they can't get online yeah maybe i'm i'm not real sure it doesn't it, it it's just a move that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me i mean i i understand that they're starting to do a little bit more of their own stuff i mean they've got the kindle and the kindle dx and stuff like that but now they've also got their uh line of low cost branded um, cables and stuff, which mm-hmm. that would be good, but I don't see being able to, to use that to make a store out. I, I'd say maybe more use that to uh, as a way of getting into existing retail places to compete with something like a monster cable or whatever, but I really don't see that or anything as a way to justify having a retail store. Or maybe it's the strong pound against the weak dollar that makes it a special environment in the UK in which they can actually make money just importing goods from the US and make it a low risk proposition for them. It could be, I don't know. I I'd be I'm kind of curious to know if maybe this would help on like import costs and stuff cuz I get a, like a lot of my music and stuff from the UK and if it would be possible to have something like this as to where it would reduce the import costs, I'd be all for that. Yeah. We'll we'll see. It's it's funny. I mean, you never see something build up an online mecca than to produce a retail environment. It sounds a little backwards for me, but more power to them if it works out for them. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody's ever done this before, so if they can make this work, they'll probably be the first. Yeah, I know Tiger Direct, you know, with the purchase of, of Comp... was it? Not CompUSA. It was CompUSA and... Circuit City, they're they're dabbling in in this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have no idea how that went or or how it's going. Uh, that that story kind of just faded into the to, into the ether. But um, maybe that's maybe it was very successful, and we just didn't hear about it because it didn't fail. Last I knew, things were seemed to be going good. I don't know how about how much from the whole Circuit City side of things. I haven't heard much from that, but. From the sounds of it, they're working on getting CompUSA back on its feet, and things seem to be going pretty well as far as that goes. But I don't know. But apparently, while Amazon is looking to move into the physical space, uh, TV executives are terrified of getting into the digital space. Yeah, I actually love this story. Um, what a, a TV exec's daughter was. Uh 
moving into her dorm and she was telling her mother that she did not need a television. And the exec said, you're going to have a television if I have to nail it to your wall. <laughs> yeah, that that's... I was kind of surprised by that. I mean, this is coming from Annie Sweeney, the president of Disney ABC Television, who's a, like a big partner in Hulu and stuff, and the daughter mm-hmm. wants to use Hulu, yet the parent seems to be um, forcing a TV on them. Yeah, and I hate reading article like uh, stuff like this where it says um, that Hulu isn't making any money. It cannot be not making money. It may not be making as much money. You can't tell me that Hulu's actually losing money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as far as I know, it, it's making a decent bit of money. I mean, not what you'd see for a normal um, broadcast TV show or whatever, but it's still making a fair bit of money from my understanding. Yeah, so I don't know why people are complaining. It's growing. It's the future. Why, Why? you know, they should nurture, nurture it to be the pioneer, to be behind the driver's seat of the future instead of trying to turn people towards a model where people are uh, are migrating away from. Mm-hmm. Well, this actually kind of considering this is coming from the president of Disney ABC Television Group, it kind of makes me question their whole commitment to Hulu and online distribution. Yeah, and with the with the Comcast acquisition of uh, NBC, that you have to worry about that too. Yeah, speaking of which, um, one of the top Comcast guys, um, he was asked about Hulu and if there's going to be some kind of a paywall there, he said there's no pay service at all in the cards. So I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out, considering that News Corp seems to be sure that there is coming a subscription service next year. Yeah, that's because they don't know yet. (laughs) Well, I think it's just kind of a... It's a case of you have multiple companies that all have a large stake in this one smaller company and nobody can really say for sure which direction the company is going to go because everyone has their own interests to look out for. True, and the acquisition just happened, so there's no way that Comcast can be up to speed that quickly about the future the future of Hulu. Mm-hmm. They, they can't vote. They might say that there's no paywall that they plan on putting up, but that does not mean that they have the majority share or the overriding vote for all the members that have a stake in Hulu. So they shouldn't actually be saying anything about it. Yeah, and I'm not sure how much um, how much of a presence they can really have in Hulu to an extent because, I mean, they've already got all their own video-on-demand stuff, and it would be interesting to see if they could integrate it into the video-on-demand stuff, but considering... You have News Corp and Fox and everybody and ABC Disney that's all involved in it and other people. That's it's not something that they would allow to be um, integrated into the video on demand stuff. I wouldn't think so. I'm kind of curious to see how things are going to change there, if at all. From the sounds of it, they want to keep things going as they are now. Yeah, but think about what happens every Comcast box could stream Hulu. Mm-hmm. <coughs> ah, excuse me. I forgot okay. to hit the cough button on here. But, yeah, I, I don't know. They're, they need to do something with their boxes as to where they have more features or something. I mean, I've got one of their digital cable boxes, and this thing has a huge footprint. I mean, it's only a couple inches tall, but this thing has a huge footprint that we can't put it like anywhere in the house so we don't have it hooked up to any TVs and we just stick with the regular basic uh, or extended basic cable or whatever the package is called just because I mean, if it had another purpose that I could stream stuff from online or whatever I might be a little more inclined to try and find room for it somewhere but if it's just going to give me an extra five channels I really don't care to watch anyway it, it makes no sense for me to even have the box in the first place. But, anyway. Well, one bright note about this story, right before we leave. Um, 
hopefully the daughter can educate her mother about how people actually consume content, and maybe there's some some hope there that through this, uh, it's making it more vocal, um, that there's some education that can happen. Yeah, I hope so. I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out and if the daughter can manage to enlighten her mother at all. But it, it I, don't, I don't know. It just kind of scares me when people that are this close-minded run such large companies. They usually do. Yeah. But, I don't know. I guess it's better than Apple, I guess, so... <laughs> anyway, now that I got my nice little shot in there at Apple... Well, who's who's on the board of ABC and Disney? Uh, I believe Steve Jobs. Uh, oh, yeah, really? Hmm. <laughs> um, I'm not sure who else. I, I assume Michael Eisner's still on the board, and, and I don't have a clue who all else. But anyway, back to the physical format of things. Apparently, Blu-ray sales have doubled, while the DVD sales are starting to slip. Which makes sense. Um, the blockbusters from the summer are now being released. Uh, it was about three, four months ago. So all the movies that were big during the summer are now coming out on disc. And given the price of cheaper Blu-ray players, and of course the PS3 with their price slashing uh, makes it more capable, uh, much more of an obtainable machine for people to start watching movies on. Yeah, this is something that I've kind of um, been touting ever since the PS3 was announced and there was the whole HE DVD Blu-ray war and everything and that the PS3 was the biggest factor that Blu-ray had going for it and when the PS3 dropped down to the 299 price point that was the biggest shot in the arm that Blu-ray sales have seen so far above and beyond winning the HDVD wars and everything else so that at all that doesn't surprise me at all, and I'm sure that's going to go up, especially with on Black Friday there were I think it was Walmart selling a Blu-ray player for I think it was 79 bucks. So now that these things are mm-hmm. actually affordable, I think we're going to see this start to climb at an even faster rate. But at the same time, they still have the problem of the actual movies themselves are still too expensive compared to a DVD. I mean, look, most Blu-rays run I don't know anywhere between. 20 bucks and 35 bucks whereas a DVD I can go to the bargain bin and pick something up for 5 bucks and I think that's kind of the biggest problem that Blu-ray has right now yeah that's uh, it's just the prices are always a barrier at least they are for me Um, but I think people kind of maybe when they spent the several thousand dollars or maybe the couple the, the several hundred dollars for uh, a new HDTV during the switchover this past summer um, that also could be a reason why they decided it's not that big of a deal to spend another two hundred dollars on a blu-ray player or people who delayed the switchover till you know later on till now maybe they did get a blu-ray player when they broke down then buy a TV so maybe they're feeling the same way where like everything's more expensive including the discs that go with this new TV and maybe some of those people are willing to, to pay the extra money, at least for now. Well, the whole Blu-ray, or the whole um, TV switchover thing was one of the things that kind of um, surprised me to an extent, is that I'm surprised that there's extremely few models of TVs that have Blu-ray built into them. I think if you would have gone around that time and had a number of lower-end TVs with Blu-ray players in them, I think that would have done huge things for... Uh, Blu-ray, but as of right now, I believe there's only a couple of sets that offer Blu-rays in built into the TV, and those are still high-end sets. So it, and so, and you're not gonna convince somebody who was on only broadcast TV just to to shell out a whole bunch of money for a high-end set just to get the Blu-ray. I think that was a huge missed opportunity for the Blu-ray camp. Yeah. Um, that's, it's it's interesting to see how things have developed from two years ago uh, when Blu-ray was the out-and-out leader um, to now. But uh, it seems like the naysayers have had 
um, had their hats handed to them, and they have to eat, uh, suck it up, and say that you know Blu-rays going to live for, you know, going to be the new standard of choice since DVDs on decline. It's only the natural profession pro- progression. Yeah, as far as the numbers go, um, Blu-ray sales have doubled, but the DVD has slipped 7.89 percent, which it's still at a high. In terms of sales, it's still at a high of. 491 million and between the two there's still a growth of a little over 1% in terms of movie purchases which you wouldn't know that if you listen to like the MPAA who's always complaining oh we're so hurt by piracy our movie sales are shrinking everybody's turning to piracy well that's just a load of crap mm-hmm. but speaking of yeah. piracy crap <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, after Mininova decided to go legal last week, their traffic absolutely plummeted to... The site's traffic dropped 66%. The number of daily downloads is less than 4% of what it used to be. And and this is all because they had to remove millions of torrents just to avoid paying millions of dollars in fines. Yeah, and it's probably because the site traffic dropped because of those links from Google were dropped to or any search engine that would point to their site for people doing a search for some content that might have been on it. And uh, the the traffic they probably did get is people who weren't aware of this change went to the website and saw there's nothing there they wanted and left. Yeah, they were at around 6 million views a day, I believe, um, when this change happened. And now the projections... And now it's at 1.8 million. They're projecting it to be below a million visits a day by the end of the week. So essentially, Mini Nova is basically dead. Yeah, they they got their money. They should catch out, cash out, and uh, roll that into another business. When you when you're based off, I'm sorry to say this, if you're based off piracy or something that's possibly majority illegal uh, or illegal content in a way. Um, you gotta be prepared for the hammer to come down eventually. Yeah, I, I was kind of—it kind of surprised me just how fast it's plummeted. I guess that's probably just because of how fast news has spread and stuff. But I, just for the heck of it, I went to Mini Nova yesterday just to see what was there, and now there's only like a couple of thousand torrents on the site compared to the millions that were there before. So the big problem is that there's no real major content on the site for people to want to go there. So there's no real reason for people to visit there because there's not that much free legal content available. Or at least available that's distributed via BitTorrent anyway. Yeah, if they retool, as we talked about the other day, there's if if they sit back and re try to reinvent the business, there's a there's a chance, but these numbers are showing that they may not be trying anything. Or um, I didn't see an official response from them uh, about how they're going to combat this this precipitous decline. But I hope they're prepared. They need to be. I'm gonna go out on a limb and predict they'll close down the site by the first of the year. In, okay, that's end safe. of January to be sure, but the first of the year would be what I would say would be when they would close things down by. Yeah, that's what we should do next podcast. We should have a prediction show. Yeah, we should come up with something like that. But something that I wasn't expecting to predict was that apparently an anti-piracy group, Denmark's anti-pirate Gruppen, has, has <laughs> claimed that if you, it's okay to break DRM, assuming you're using it, or you're assuming you're breaking it to make your own personal copy. Then, as far as they're concerned, it's legal, even though it's actually not legal. Yeah, they say basically what everyone else says is that you know it's small, it's petty. As long as you're doing it for your own consumption and not for distribution, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. But that's what they're saying, that they're they're okay with this one instance. So it's case by case, it seems like. Yeah, this is kind of an 
interesting story. I've been following it for the past week or two, or however long it's been going on. Basically, a Danish copy fighter by the name of Henrik Andersen has admit has sent a letter to the anti-pirate group and saying, "Hey, I've got all these DVDs and stuff that I made personal copies for, but to break them." And I think we're talking about like a thousand DVDs or something like that. But to break them, he had to, or to copy them, he had to break the DRM. So he was giving them up until a certain date to respond and sue him if they wanted to. Because it's basically a little bit contradictory in the law in that it's, and essentially it's the same thing here in the States, in that you can have a backup of your DVD, but at the same time you're not allowed to break the DRM on the DVD to make your backup. So he was basically looking to basically take this to court so that we could have a certainty in terms of is it legal to do anything to get that backup, or is it illegal to break the DRM for the backup, and just kind of which thing is paramount here. So... I've been kind of following this the whole time, and he, after the deadline passed, he hadn't heard from him. Despite the fact that they said that they would respond to him, he even went and turned himself into the police, and last I knew, they hadn't even done, the police didn't really seem to care about that either. Yeah, they, um, well, I don't think that they actually went to the police, but um, I don't think they would care, because it would probably cost more to prosecute him than uh, especially since he's turned himself in that they would get from court fees and all that stuff pr- probably in Denmark but I agree this has to be settled some way so legally if we're talking about in practice something we already know then just make it legal to make sure that uh, what's in practice lines up to to what's legal mm-hmm. yeah, well, that's one, things that, one of the things that I think they need to change about like the DMCA is that yeah, you should be able to have a backup copy of your stuff or whatever, but they need to make a provision in there saying you can do whatever is necessary, whether it's breaking DRM or whatever, to get that backup, just so that you're basically not turning everybody into criminals just because they want to keep a backup of their movie or CD or whatever. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where we have to... You know, I'm not sure if they... I mean, they passed a law here in the United States about CDs, but not for DVDs mm-hmm. specifically. Uh, I think it, we're just not, not at that awareness, awareness level that people actually want to make copies of movies. Mm-hmm. Of course, you want to put CDs on a CD player, but who wants to put movies on your iPod? Eh, nobody does that. Mm-hmm. At least that's the mentality currently. Yeah, it putting take ripping DVDs and putting it on your iPod is generally not the easiest experience so a lot of people don't mess with it I mean it, it's some I've messed with it in the past I really don't do that much generally anything I really care about especially if I want to watch it mobily I'm probably going to pirate anyway so I don't have to deal with the whole ripping process just the transcoding process so that's just kind of the way I've always dealt with it but speaking of piracy apparently uh, just outside of Chicago, a 22-year-old woman was trying to do a little bit of filming for her sister's birthday party in a movie theater, happened to catch a couple of frames of um, the new Twilight New Moon movie, and is being charged with felony movie piracy because of it. Well, it was more than a few frames, it was more like a few minutes, but still, I mean, it wasn't, that's, that she was pointing at the screen and just sitting there and trying to capture the whole thing. Uh, they're they're celebrating the birthday party in the theater, and there's no warning, and there was no alerting by the ushers about what seeing she was being obvious she wasn't being sneaky, and there was no warning letting her know that hey you can't do that we might prosecute at all, uh, and she had to spend two two nights in jail for that. Yeah, the usher went and got the manager the the manager of the movie went and called the cops she ended up spending two days in jail and is now being prosecuted for felony movie piracy which considering the fact that at most she got up to three minutes of video while in the theater how much 
who knows how much of that was of the actual screen or whatever, because I guess they were videotaping singing Happy Birthday, which why you would sing Happy Birthday in the middle of a movie, I'm not sure. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But, I don't know, I, I'm, I'd be amazed if a judge doesn't throw this out just because of how stupid this is. Also, like, if there's no distribution, so they did, she didn't even leave the theater. If there's no distribution, can you really call that piracy? I don't know. They passed a a new law a couple of years ago as far as um, piracy and, like, piracy and as far as um, videotaping in theaters and punishments and stuff, and they upped the punishments quite a ways. And I'm not sure exactly how that law um, treats stuff like this. Yeah. And, and that's basically well, the law that they're going to have to go by, I'm sure, between that and the DMCA. Yeah, let's 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 see how it sounds very draconian, and I was uh, very scared that this actually happened in the United States. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised, but then again, I don't know. I know they're. I've. Well, I'm not going to say anything. But anyway. Yeah, well, well, I'm scared. I guess because this did not make it to mainstream mainstream press. I guess is part of it. Uh, this this really needs to be on television this lady needs to start being on good morning america uh nightline everything she needs to tell her story to let people know that this is possible and this is the laws that we currently have on the books yeah something they need to do something like that but it's kind of hard when it's the same like picture um movie industry that basically has the same control of like the TV and the TV news and stuff like that, so they can, so they're the ones that can say what goes on and what doesn't. That's that's kind of where podcasts and the blogosphere kind of does things right. Is you don't really have an, any kind of controlling influence, and word's gonna spread no matter what. Yeah. Well, it looks like it's on Chicago Sun Times, so uh, one newspaper in a pretty big market. So hopefully this spreads. It, more people need to know about this. Yeah, it, it's just one of those horrible deals, and hopefully they get it gets thrown out, and maybe we can get a rewrite to the law or something like that. But speaking of things that the government needs to act on, I guess the FCC is now looking into why Verizon has increased its, or basically I think it's doubled their early ter- termination fees. Yeah, and also their proration rate means that you still have to pay like 150 bucks if you canceled like a, a day before your contract expired, mm-hmm. which which means which means it doesn't count down to zero as it, it's not prorated down to zero. Um, Verizon says that they don't people don't have to pay that cancellation rate as long as you don't cancel <laughs> within <laughs> within your contract, which is okay, which makes sense. And oh, and if you buy the phone outright, then you don't have to pay a contract. So once again, yes, okay, but who does that? Um, and well, I, I, my initial response is like, does FCC have? I mean, Verizon can do whatever they want. What does, what does it matter how much they charge? If you don't like it, don't go to them. But they do have a hand in this. Well, it just makes no sense that out of the blue, Verizon doubles it for basically no reason, or at least no reason that they care to um, state. Oh, I have a reason. It's droid. Eh, I don't know how much droid has that much of an impact on it. And I, uh, I, I don't see everybody going, oh, the droid sucks, I'm going to get out of here, but I'm stuck with a two-month contract. Or a two-year contract. No, no, it's the other way around. People are like, oh, the droid's so cool, let me go to Verizon. And they are making so that it's harder for pe- for the influx of new subscribers to leave. And to think twice about leaving them if they if they think they want to if if Apple comes up with a, a new iPhone next year that's so kick ass that people and they address all the the nits that they put on their advertising. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I, I I was I heard some numbers. I think it was on Twit this week about some of the turnover for like customers and stuff. How AT and T's turnover because they have the iPhone 
is only like around 1%. If it was if they didn't have the iPhone and it was just based on the network that would be an extreme it would be extremely high because AT&T's network just plain sucks. But I'm but there doesn't seem to be any numbers like that from Verizon, so I'm kind of curious to know what that number is uh, is like to know if that really plays a factor here. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I, I, I think it's a droid. Um, they think that uh, maybe it's it, it's. I mean, it's cancellation fees only mean one thing, right? It's a deterrent. Mm-hmm. And um, what they're trying to turn people or is is turnover rate. So I can't see it any other way. And the only th- only way that you're concerned about turnover rates is unless you feel that there's going to be a mass exodus, which doesn't make sense for their existing base because they're grandfathered into the old contracts. And it's only new track contracts that fall into the 350 rate. And the only way to get new subscribers is the influx of customers. And they specifically re- uh, reference... Uh, smart devices, aka smartphones, in this post. So, to me, it sounds like the droid. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, it could be, but I don't know. It seems like wireless carriers are always looking for a way to screw the customer and make more money. It, or at least that just kind of seems to be the case, at least with text messaging rates. But apparently, there's also been a number of issues that have been brought up as far as like a one-click access to mobile web, and if a Verizon customer doesn't have the data access on their phone, they're immediately charged 199 even though they could be, like, pocket dialing to open up the mobile web. Although, mm-hmm. according to a Verizon, Verizon spokesman, if that happens to be the case, they'll immediately take the charge off of the account, and even if you happen to do it, like, several times in a month, they'll just take the charge off the account and it won't be an issue at all. But apparently if it's making it into the... that it's being brought up in the press, I'm guessing it is an issue. Yeah, a lot of people will... or a lot of companies will expound fees that are erroneous, but you have to be meticulous of of looking at your bill, making sure they're not there, and if they are there, you have to call them. And then that's a hassle waiting on hold and to get that corrected. So, of course, they'll take it off, but that won't make it easy for you to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be my experience with a lot of companies, and that, yeah, it'll, uh, I can get like my service discontinued or whatever, but I have to get passed around to three or four different people, and they have to op- make me ten different offers to keep me and everything. So anything that makes them money, they're going to try and stick you with. And there's always a way out, but it's never an easy way out. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the cell phone companies, right? (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, I guess that would be all of our stories for tonight, unless there's any other stories you cared to talk about. Nothing, uh, that, that nice tangent into the, the Juju pad was nice. Um, I didn't know about that, but that's outrageous. Yeah, that was just one of the things. I knew that they were, there was supposed to be a press event about it today, and it was just luck that I happened to come across a live blog in it in my RSS feed. I mean, that was something that I was kind of curious about anyway, but I had forgotten that the announcement was today, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see where this is going to go now with impending lawsuits and everything. I'm kind of curious to see if this ever actually sees the light of day. Yeah, I hope not. Um, I, I I know there's a lot of hearsay in this, but for some reason I immediately jumped to believing Arrington and what he says about what went down over what they're saying. I just take his side. Just I don't know if that's... I know that might be naive of me, but it, it just doesn't bode well from hearing about their side of things and how it went down. It just makes more sense of what Arrington said. Yeah, that that's kind of the way I am. I it just I seem to like by default seem to be believing him on this one. I don't know. Maybe it's because the guy look the from Fusion Garage looks a little creepy. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that that's just me. <laughs> but I I just seem to be 
kind of backing Arrington on this one. So between that and the outrageous price, I have no intention of buying it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess um, Arrington seems more... Um, uh, I don't want to say um, idealist in what his hope for the crunch pad was going to be, but I think that is probably why I believe him more. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it, the way they, um, the guy from Fusion Garage made it sound is that the TechCrunch people had almost no involvement other than they kind of got the ball rolling with the whole idea, but past that they had basically no involvement. And from just posts and stuff I've seen from Arrington, I know they've had a whole, they've had quite a bit of involvement as to where I know he's had posts saying that they've had people in and out of the office, in and out of his house and stuff, basically working on different parts of the crunch pad or in, as they now call it, juju. So I I think that he's not giving him near the credit that he deserves. Even if they had no involvement, even if Arrington had no involvement other than the idea itself, the idea means something. The idea is worth something, and the involvement's worth something. If I came up with the cure to cancer, but I just didn't implement it, <laughs> I think I'd get something. Yeah, if anything, there would be, you would at least consider it prior art in like a patent infringement lawsuit or something like that. Or a copyright lawsuit yeah. or something like that. Yeah. The thing is, the the garage would be nowhere without Arrington. It's not like they were doing. They were coming up with this idea already. Arrington brought this to them, and that that is what's giving them a product that they're mm-hmm. what's going on pre-orders on this Friday. Yes, pre-orders on Friday. Yeah, they wouldn't be able to do that without his help or his idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that's the only reason this tablet ever got big. I mean, no one's ever heard of Fusion Garage anyway, so I don't think they could really get the publicity for it that Arrington has. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But then again, Arrington has a reach of millions of people, so that, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious to see how it plays out. I'm waiting to read something about lawsuits being filed, and it'll it'll be a It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, before we get to our tip of the day, which is one you definitely don't want to miss, and I've actually got a couple other things I want to mention, but I want to mention a little bit about donations and kind of how we survive. Basically, so far, up until now, everything has been entirely funded by me. All the hosting charges, all the domain charges, you name it, I've paid for it out of my own pocket. Well, it's getting to the point where things are kind of racking up and my income isn't increasing, so it's getting, it's where I can't really justify spending all that much more than what we have now, so basically we need donations. I don't know, it doesn't matter how much you donate, anything will help if you go to globalgeeknews.com slash donations or you can just go to globalgeeknews.com there's a donations button up on the top and donate anything it'll help if you want to donate 10 bucks great that'll get you can post yourself a link on there so you can get a link back to your site if you're looking for some good help with some SEO or whatever that's some good help right there or if you need if you donate anything over 25 bucks we'll mention you on the show uh, but basically right now that's kind of all we have to go off of is donations and we put several hours of work into this getting stories writ together and everything and recording and all kinds of stuff just to bring you usually or at least we aim for assuming there's no um, problems basically four hours of content every month and Really, when you think about it, if you go to a movie, you're going to be spending, what, 10 bucks on a ticket, plus maybe another 10 bucks per person for, like, popcorn and drinks and stuff, yet you're only getting an hour and a half to two hours worth of content. So we're actually giving you a whole lot more content for what, for your money. So, I mean, skip a couple of trips 
to the movies, listen to the show instead, and send the money our way. Or even if you just sacrificed one Starbucks coffee a month or something like that, like five bucks a month and just donate it to us, that would be great. Speaking of which, I'm actually going to see about adding some subscription buttons to do like an automatic $5 a month PayPal withdrawal kind of a thing. But also, I I have things in the works right now, but hopefully in the next week or so, I'm going to have Global Geek News merchandise up. I've kind of got a um, Global Geek News Cafe Press store semi-opened up. A store I'm going to have there's gonna be like shirts and coffee cups and all kind and like bags I think I've got on there and all kinds of stuff on there so you can have some global geek news branded stuff we can and if you do something like that that would be a great way to help out the show as well as spread the word about the show and you know if you can't donate I can I totally understand that as well I I know times are a little on the tough side so if you can't donate at least do something to help the show grow. Tell your friends, tell your family about the show. Shoot an email to everybody in your um, address book saying, hey, check out this great show called Global Geek News. Um, do something like that. Twitter about it. Write a blog post about it. Whatever. Just do something to help the show. But anyway. And also I'd like to remind people that I don't come cheap, so help help Jeremy out. Right. Yeah, you have to be my... I would say that you're probably my most expensive co-host by far. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's how I roll. Yeah. But anyway, basically... Okay. Um, the link... The uh, tip of the week for this week is a complete guide to avoiding online scams. This is comes from Lifehacker. This, may, this is largely for the less tech-savvy friends and relatives that you happen to have. So just kind of made me want to forward this article off to them so they kind of have an idea of how to stay safe online in terms of you don't want to click links in your email that are supposedly from your bank or financial, financial institution or whatever, or don't give out your email password to people that shouldn't have it and to use strong passwords or don't buy anything from an email you'd never asked for in the first place or look out for stuff that's too good to be true like job postings and stuff and don't post information like social security numbers and there's a whole bunch of different tips in here that'll go a long way in helping you and your friends and your family stay safe online. So definitely want to check that out. But, of course, you can check out all of our stories in the show notes at globalgeeknews.com. And don't forget, you can also follow the show on Twitter, which is at globalgeeknews. And you can also follow me on Twitter, which is at PCNerd37. And you can also follow Wesley on Twitter, which is at Wesley83. And I think that's pretty much it. Oh, and don't forget, you can also friend us up on Facebook, there is now a Global Geek News fan page on Facebook, so become our fan on Facebook as well. And I think that's pretty much it for this week. If you have any um, questions or comments for the show, you can feel free to leave them in the comments section of the show, or you can shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Uh, any- and, and if you have anything that you want us to do predictions on for our next show, make sure you leave that in the comments. Yeah, feel free to, if you ever have any um, stories that you'd like us to cover or anything, um, shoot me an email or shoot me a tweet on Twitter or something like that. Say, hey, I'd love for you guys to talk about this story on the show, and and we'll do our best to get it worked into the show. So we want this show to be as much about what you guys are interested in as possible. So anyway, that would be our show for this week. Don't forget to check back next week. We... As far as I know, we should be having all of our shows throughout the month of December. I don't plan on doing anything special for the holidays, so I guess we will see you guys next week. Later. Ciao.